At Sephora, we know how you love to use makeup, skincare, hair care, and fragrances that work for you, but also how important it is to be in the know about the ingredients that are in them, which is why we created Clean at Sephora, curated products from brands like Merit, Amica, Summer Fridays, and Fleur that have everything you want, minus certain ingredients you might not. Clean at Sephora is only at Sephora. Shop now at Sephora.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to episode 176 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. Today, I am delighted to welcome two hosts that I have with me today. One is the fantastic director, writer and producer, Robbie McCain. Hello, buddy. Hello, Jars. How's it going? Very good. Very good i just love the way you just sink into your deep vocals it's like some sort of sexy <laughs> it's my bath. radio voice yeah and also joining us as our second uh, host today is a fantastic <laughs> producer lucinda rhodes takra hello lucinda Hi, Giles. I'm not going to do a sexy voice because I can't. I can't you compete just, with Robbie McKay. You just did it. You just did it, unbelievably, <laughs> without meaning to. And did you notice there? I pronounced your surname correctly. Well, it did take a while. Eventually, you've got it right. Thank you. I appreciate your time Pleasure. and effort with that. Sometimes you've just got to put a little bit of time and effort into things, haven't you? <laughs> um, so, as most of you know, myself and Lucinda made the feature film Arthur and Merlin Knights of Camelot, which was on the podcast two episodes ago, right? The mega special right. four-hour megathon. Big, long app, but you learn how to make a feature film on that. Uh, Lucinda, did you learn how to make a feature film while you were recording that? Oh, definitely. I, I learned a lot <laughs> about yourself and Andy. <laughs> I learned, I tell you what, I learned a lot about the deer. Yes. <laughs> because the Dare's a very important film that I haven't mentioned for a little while, have I? It's coming out uh, oh, in the UK Don't in October. Again. Do you know what I saw this week? Uh, Lionsgate, our distributors, sent me the artwork. And I went, wow, it's really cool. I was oh. like, this is cool. Yeah. So, All right. so we can talk about the Dare more if you like, or we could move on to uh, another movie. <laughs> we, we could. Any other movie. Any other movie. <laughs> And I love that you've done that. Thank you, Lucinda. For those who don't know, I'm Giles Alderson, by the way. Uh, I'll introduce myself. Welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's a very, very cool episode today. We have joining us the director, Ben Mole. Hello, buddy. How are you doing? Hey, how are you? Congrats on the Arthur and Merlin. Thank you very much, yeah. Ben. Thank you. Now, Real we've hit. crossed paths. And uh, advance congratulations for The Dare, just to bring oh, it right back to the safe. film that we're all talking about here oh, today. Oh, Ben, <laughs> do not jump on this. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes, the dairy's out in October. Thank you, Ben, for mentioning that. And yeah. if you're in America and Canada, you can watch it now. Um, talk of a sequel. Maybe. Who knows? Great. There is. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we're not talking about the debt. We are here to talk about your brand new movie, um, Behind the Line, Escape to Dunkirk. My name is Hauptsturmführer Drexler. And which one of you is familiar? I'll fight whoever you want. Escape. Our obligation is to hit them not in the sports arena, where it hurts, in war. While everyone's watching the fight, you slip out. Slip out? Are you crazy? No. Because I'm going to give them a fight that they can't take their eyes off. You will not win this battle. How cool is that? How amazing that you've got another movie out in the space of what, a couple of months? I mean, wow. Uh, first of all, how are you feeling about it all, Ben? What's, what's going on in your mind right now? <laughs> It's always, you're kind of excited, aren't you, when you're a week away and you're nervous and I wake up at three in the morning thinking everybody, well, actually, I don't wake up thinking everybody hates it. I wake up thinking about, you know, <laughs> did I leave the fridge open or am I wearing right. the wrong socks or something completely different that I only realized come the morning is actually probably displaced uh, uh, anxiety Fear. about the release. That, I don't know about other filmmakers and other people who, who who do put their heart into anything that ever has to go out in front of the public but in yes. the run-up to to it's like it, it's pulling the sheet off isn't it which is going to happen on monday uh yeah I, when Technic we go well, out? this is going out tuesday tuesday so, so this happened yesterday it's fascinating when a film comes out we've just had it as well with arthur and merlin and you've not long had it with We Go In At Dawn, which was your first movie, your debut uh, feature film movie, right? Even though you've directed loads in the past, TV, uh, music videos, short films. We Go In At Dawn was your debut as a feature director, correct? And writer? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it was my debut as a feature film director in the sense that it was a real movie. I'd done like two hour long TV before, which is kind yes. of feature length, but it wasn't, this is like a real like go to the cinema, watch a movie kind of movies. And it was it was great because I'd been wanting to do that for a while. And then hooking up with Lucinda was great because it really looked like, I'm sure you found this as you were trying to get your first films together as well. You meet a lot of producers along the way that don't always deliver everything that you hoped. And then, uh, so I, when I first met Lucinda, I was like, oh, is this going to be another one of those? And of course mm. it wasn't. Do you remember that, Lucinda, that first uh, uh, cup of tea we had in some hotel car park? It was in Colchester. We was oh. it in Colchester? It was. Oh, it's so glamorous. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is what filmmakers want to know, the glamour of making a movie. I was just in a hotel car park and we had a cup of tea in Colchester. <laughs> it's a tale as old as time. <laughs> no expense spared, no expense spared. Not for you lot, this is ace. 
driven through with a lot of heart and enthusiasm rather than than, than fancy snacks. And cold cups of tea in car parks. Yeah, no, absolutely. Exactly. It does make sense. Well, that's filmmaking. That's indie filmmaking, especially when you've got lower budgets. It does happen. You've got to do that. And it's, yeah. it's an incredible thing that you get through it. You think at the time, how the hell are we doing this? But you do. So let's jump back slightly before we get into to both films, actually, but certainly uh, behind the line. So you said there that you, you met Lucinda and that started the journey going there. And by the way, a hookup in America is something very different to what it is in the UK. Uh, I've made this mistake in the past. So just to be clear, uh, Ben and uh, Lucinda just met up to talk about films. Um, <laughs> uh, I've, I've, yeah, I've made that mistake big time in the past. Yeah, should we, should we, should we hook up while we're there? Uh-oh. So anyway, look, it, it, so I suppose we wanted to talk about your journey, Ben, and, and your journey to meeting Lucinda and all that time, because I know you've been trying to make features for quite a while. Yeah. And that sort of disappointment and that heartbreak, as the same as myself, it was eight years of full-on pain and, you know, whatever else that goes with that while you're trying to make a feature. What was your journey? What was your situation of you trying to make features and, like you said, they're meeting the wrong kind of producers? I'll tell you what happened with me, but uh, any of your listeners who are trying to follow along paths, you've got to be really clear about this. Every single path is different. I don't, I've never met any route into this business that you can follow, you can learn from, especially from mistakes, and you can learn from what other people have done. But there isn't a kind of a direct ladder like there is in some careers that, well, if I do this, then it, well, that'll happen. If I do this, that'll happen. So... So my story is my story, but it's 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 pretty unique. I started in short form in commercials and promos and that type of thing. Mm. I'd always wanted to do stories, but I I, uh, I I kind of like so many things in this life and in this business, you kind of fall into it because you get offered work. So you do one and you do a good job. So somebody offers you another one. So you do a good job of that. And suddenly two years have gone by and you've got a great body of work, but you haven't necessarily, you're not necessarily doing what you dreamed you were doing as a kid. Mm-hmm. So I got out of there completely, burnt all my bridges, called everybody up and said, I'm not doing commercials and promos anymore. My income died, of course. Wow. I literally went from like take to a zero off it, if not two. It was, it was insane. And I retrained as an editor and learned how to tell long form stories. My plan was, of course, to get in the room with producers. And I thought, well, editors can get in the room with producers. So I would meet them. And so I did that. And then funny enough, it was the commercials that I'd done got me my first real directing, long form directing thing was, a guy rang me up and said, we want someone to go and shoot a documentary in Greece, but it's got to look amazing and we've got a big budget. So we wanted someone with a commercials background and and, and, and and he'd worked with me as an editor. So everything kind of came together. So in that sense, there was a bit of planning, I suppose. So I went over to Greece and did some documentaries. And then I got kind of stuck in doc- stuck's the wrong word. I had a fantastic time. I've been all over the world. I've done some mm-hmm. amazing things that have been seen by millions of people and I've had a great time doing it. So, but I ended up doing that for about 10 years, but really what I wanted to do was, was scripted fiction. And that was where I wanted to That to was go. your passion. That's where, yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, and in spite of being in the most incredible situations and meeting some incredible people and building a nice career and having a great, you know, 
meeting and working with some of the best in the business, still this thing just taps away. It niggles at you. You want to mm-hmm. do it. You can't. It's an itch you can't scratch. You want to get it yeah. away. It doesn't matter how many books you read. doesn't matter how many behind the scenes you watch. You still got that feeling of, I want that, but yeah. I don't know how to achieve it. It's it, really difficult, isn't it? Exactly. And especially as you kind of, once you, if you can get into a genre like, in my case, it was commercial uh, uh, documentaries. And if you're doing well at it, it's quite hard to turn that down and say, no, I'm going to go take six months away and write a spec script that no one's going to buy. But totally. you have to do it. Yeah. So that is actually what I did. I took, I just quit again, the second big quit and learned how to write screenplays. So I took a couple of years doing that, took some courses. I, my income again took a massive dive. It's because who's going to buy a first time? Well, there are a lot more first-time scripts written than get bought, as everybody mm-hmm. knows. Definitely. And so I wrote several scripts. I managed to sell a couple. Actually, I did get lucky. So I managed to sell wow. a couple that I wasn't uh, going to direct because they, they didn't feel like they were ready for me. And how did you do that? Sorry to jump in here, but then because I think it's really interesting for our listeners to know there's loads of screenwriters out there, filmmakers who are going, well, I've got scripts. I'd love to sell them. What was your process there? How did you actually get it to people? So my first, the thing that I, that really lit that touch paper was I entered a, one of these 48 hour film challenges Mm -hmm. and the, and this is something that anybody can do. Literally anyone can do this. The prize uh, for winning this contest was you get to pitch to all the big, uh, a bunch of big producers and distributors. Um, Gareth Edwards, who then went on to make a couple of films, had won it a couple of years ago. So I thought, well, he got Monster kind of out of that. So I'm going to try the same thing. Yeah, he went on to do Star Wars just by yeah, the way. For, yeah, yeah for Star Wars and Godzilla and all kinds of movies. So so I thought, well, if he could do... Yeah, actually, I said at the beginning, I think, don't follow other people's paths because it won't work out. I saw Gareth Edwards like, right, exactly what I'm going to do. So I entered this... Why not? The same competition and... Uh, it was Vertigo again, and they were the prize people. And and mm-hmm. we, I won it with the short, and we won that, and it was all Congrats. great. And the yep. prize was to pitch to um, to a panel of, 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 of pretty big producers. And so I had spent ages working up my pitches, and I went in, I had my 10 minutes. I pitched like hell, and I could see they hated it. They absolutely hated what I was pitching. And at the end of it, uh, <laughs> literally, they, they hated it. I could, they were just asleep, looking at their phones, picking their hair, dreaming about things. You could see that. And then I, uh, and I, I carried, got to the end, and the, and the guy said, well, you got like two or three minutes left. What else have you got? I had nothing else. So I literally made something up on the spot. And, and I said, okay, I've got this thing where we've got, they're like gladiators, but they're GM people, and they're going to fight each other. And, and, and suddenly, you could just see this whole panel uh so phones, pick up, went down. phones went down they started to listen got to the end of it said great yeah i'd love to see it uh send it to me as soon as you can i'm like fuck i now got to write this <laughs> it uh, happens like that though it really does you know somebody yeah. says i need something that's kind of how this worked with 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 the war film three years later but so anyway i wrote it and they optioned it and they bought it and now it's actually happening so that's great so that was that's uh, fantastic can you say what that is that was a, it's called the arena and it's Amazing. with Wild Seed Studios bought it in the end, uh, who are, have a thing with DRG and with Netflix. 
So okay, actually, well to, to finish yeah. that story quickly, they after a couple of years of development on the movie, they switched it to a TV box set because they thought the returns would be better, so we'd get more, etc. Cetera, and you're et cetera, like, so. uh, whatever, listen, yeah. you, paid, um, you get getting paid you're like i'm happy you know to be a paid writer from a spec script is just it's it's really impressive it just doesn't happen very often yeah so that was great and then and then uh, i met some uh, because of that i managed to get a few other options made and even a little commission uh for a a screenplay and then met lucinda we kind of hung out we um, we became friends and then we ended up in at the berlin film festival together yeah but wait no no you missed something oh what did i miss you did uh, you came and worked with us on robin hood oh god yes we did yeah yeah yeah. that's yeah, how yeah, we yeah. met so, oh you met on robin hood okay. so we had the cold cup of coffee in yes. the hotel car park and that's Gorgeous. when i asked ben to come and do um a few pickup days on Robin Hood, the Rebellion, and we had a big green screen set up. Um, and that's, yeah, that's how we met Ben. I'm really pleased Amazing. that it was memorable. <laughs> <laughs> this happens to you a lot, Lucinda. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and this is, uh, so you just came and did second unit, basically. You just pick up some Robin Hood, the Rebellion. How great that you'd forgotten that you'd done that. We did, yeah. We did pickups. And I think I did, you know, I did some VFX on it as well, didn't I? In you did. Some, I could help put people in connection with other people. He was supervising can. for us on oh, I see. Yeah, you're And a also fixer. shooting for VFX. That's, that's a whole yeah. discipline in itself. I'll tell you something else, actually, that really did help in that regard of, of that, even though that my documentary career, which was great, wasn't doing scripted. We were working at budgets where we got to learn a lot of stuff that you wouldn't get to do doing short films. Or you probably even wouldn't get to do doing, you know, EastEnders and Casualty and that kind of entry-level TV continuing drama. So mm. actually, when the time came to, to do features now, uh, those connections that I'd made doing those documentaries, bringing them into the feature world is great because then you're asking favours for people because usually in independent film you're asking for favours, mm -hmm. but you're asking for favours of people you've actually paid pretty well in the past. So they're more willing to come back and give you a hand. So, I, I, you know, there are, there are a lot of sort of hidden benefits to coming to it a bit later, let's say. I agree with that. Yeah, mine was the same route as yours, really, in that sense. And, you know, by then you'd, you'd work with a lot of people on music videos and promos where you have paid people. And then it is easier when you're doing a feature to go, look, will you come and do me a favour? It's a feature. People like feature credits and all that. And they trust you by that point. Yeah. And I think that's a really important word in this industry is trust. You know, the fact that you've worked with Lucinda twice and a third time coming up, it looks like. And me and Lucinda have worked together lots. I mean, Robbie have worked together lots. It's that trust thing that you build up over time and then you go you know what people's strengths are and you can then carry on making films that way i think it's so important i also think you enjoy it you know if you've had a good experience you know it's it's cold it's wet early in the morning it's raining things aren't going your way there's and this wasn't just in the car park in yeah, yeah. <laughs> the coffee's fucking freezing you know and <laughs> and if you've done that with people who you've had good times with before it's yep. it's good to come back with so 
Yeah, and that. we all go through, you know, there's always issues on set. There just is. People are going to fall out. Different departments are going to clash. You're going to clash. There's loads of things can go wrong on a film set. Mm. But at the end of the day, you all want what's best for the film. That's why you're clashing, because you want to do a good job. So therefore, those things get forgotten about very quickly because everyone's happy to do the work and get on with it. And you stick with those people because it's, it, it, like you say, it can be so amazing making feature films. It can be so hard, but it's also... I think one of the best things in the world. It's just, oh, it's amazing. Just, it's I'm, I wouldn't. Yeah. People always say to me, they go, "What would you do if you weren't in filmmaking?" And I was like, "Well, I, I wouldn't do anything because I've never done anything else. There isn't anything, in my opinion, that is better. When you're standing on set with the cold coffee, with a load of people that you trust, no one's dropping the ball. You're working like a family, really slogging it out to make something that you believe will be absolutely wonderful. It's an amazing experience. And when you get to the end and you all have your virtual screenings or your drive-ins or, you know, soon real-life cinemas. Premieres, yeah. <laughs> premieres. Yeah. It's, it's so lovely to look at the people next to you and go, wow, we did that. That's great. You know, it was, it was mm -hmm. a real experience. Yeah, it is. And, and speaking of, you, you mentioned there, you've sort of not done anything else, but you've like been in movies since you were like 14, right? Mm. You've made TV and film since you were that age. So you literally have done nothing else. You haven't even worked as a waiter or in the bar like no. the rest of us. I, I tried it once. I, I, I went to work at Pizza Hut once and I got the sack after like three hours. So I knew, <laughs> I knew it was not my calling. Um, but yeah, I've grown oh. up on set. <laughs> You're laughing at me. Did you, what did you do? What did you do? I think I just... Did you start singing or something? No, I was, I was tap dancing around the salad bar. No, I just... It just... I think they knew it, it wasn't, wasn't for you. me. Yeah, mm, it wasn't Yeah, it didn't me. have the face for it. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> so, let's... Uh, look, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating journey. I think filmmaking is one of these things that is... And there's so many people who, who come to our events and come listen to the podcast who are going, look, I want to make a feature. How do I get that first one done? So, by then, you'd done lots of TV movies and the Michael Jackson thing's really interesting and uh, be interesting to talk about that. The Man in the Mirror, which is a TV movie and then you did uh, See No Evil on TV and The Last Days Of, you know, all these type of things that are that can only make you a better director now i I'm, i wanted to ask you this do you think that's the are you glad you made all these things before you made your first feature i think ah uh, it's a great question i think at every stage in your life you, you you should probably take that jump one step earlier than you did I always, I always think you, you, you learn as you go through life, whether it's like learning to ride a bike and taking off the, the stabilizer wheels, the training wheels or not. You should always try and just take those training wheels off one step earlier than you did. So, of course, I'm grateful that I, I, I had that career and made, made those shows before. And, uh, but I think. Uh, my advice to anyone who's in any of these steps along a way is 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 take a jump before you think you're ready rather than wait till you're ready because that's what I think you got to do and I think Amazing. it makes you braver and don't be afraid to crash and burn I love that advice it's that's so great true advice. Yeah, don't be afraid to crash and burn because it's so easy to, you know, wait for the big money or wait yeah. for the right project. No, no, just go out and shoot something on your iPhone. Go out and exactly. find a DP, find a scriptwriter, and go shoot. I love that advice. Be, be prepared to fail. It's all right. You exactly. learn from that failure. And then someone like Lucinda goes, well, they've made a feature. Now I 
I trust that they've been through that whole process. Now imagine what we can do with with us lot helping. And it's true. It does make a big difference, actually. I agree. But people are very scared of failure. Uh, I understand it. Yeah. But at the same time, you've got to be brave in this world. Uh, that part of it about. doesn't go away, though. You, you're still scared no. of the failure. Oh, it, God, yeah. It, all the way yeah. along. It's just you'd somehow yeah. learn to sleep. <laughs> do you know what Ben Ben says something Ben says we have this we have conversations Ben and I a lot about you know should we do a movie at this budget or that budget who can we use and Ben goes just say yes to everything and worry about it later great literally yeah. and now I've just taken that I'm like yeah. great and it, it's so true and then you get to the point where you go oh now we need to worry about that yeah <laughs> we're in it now but that's okay we're in it now but that's right it's better than not being in it right I think so absolutely yeah totally what's it the yes man isn't it how much has life changed when you started saying yes to things and you know it's I'm not saying you say yes to everything but I'm saying you think about what you want to do and work it out later um that's good advice it really is um speaking of which Ben what the first time I heard of you it was a short film called 10 Minutes that you directed. Oh, wow. With Dean Fisher. Yeah, it's going back. Because Dean Fisher was on the podcast last week. Break one last week, weren't they, oh, talking yeah. about that film. And uh, and obviously Dean would produce the first movie I ever was the lead in as an actor. And it's just really interesting connecting those dots because we talked about you last week a tiny bit. And then we, uh, yeah, talking with you now about this. But yeah, that's when I first heard of you in that. And you had Nick Moran in that, Terry Dwyer. Craig Charles. Great. We had Craig yeah. Charles at, at the at his thing that was um yeah dean's great uh and good luck with dean and congratulations to everyone involved in break this year that's that's going to be a a really good thing for all of them uh and it's a great yeah. film in fact when we get on to talking about the war film it was i was at a cast and crew test screening of break when i saw sam gittens and that's when i said right we're going to put bring him into our film so that was kind of all thanks to dean in fact but i just want to wow. say one quick thing about that and you and me i have been to your your sessions before you're just way too busy to uh say hello to everyone it's too big time <laughs> but <laughs> too but, big time yeah, Sorry yeah. About that. i normally do i spend a lot of time talking to i try and speak to everyone um and i remember one of the events recently i just happened to be stood by the door i was trying to go out for a piss i think just before the make your film event and i everyone started coming in someone had let them all in so i was now stood by the door and i started shaking <laughs> people's hands and i ended up shaking everyone's hand who was coming in as if i was greeting everyone into it's like willy event. wonka Willy Wonka is I apologise because normally I'm sure maybe we did we say hello did we at least we say hello yeah oh, but well, it's, it's all good I was wait. I shook your hand and, and, and went with everyone else that day oh so that was you you would say so, yeah. right well okay that was a the thing with Dean is great you always keep your friends because it's a small yeah. business and it's it going to really come around it. and yes. and you're going to end up if not working with working like one step removed from these people for you know for years and years and that the mm -hmm. thing with nick moran and craig charles and terry dwyer of break that's where they met actually um yes, it was is, yeah. in fact so i introduced dean to terry dwyer which is you how did. break happened so there yes, we go correct. that's that. so actually um, break only got made because of you so it's, yeah, it's my yeah, fault. I'm surprised you haven't oh, banged on the door for man. a massive credit and right. money in back end and stuff. Um, it is interesting though how fascinating the, the the whole indie film world is, especially doing this podcast. I've you know I've met so many people in this industry who are making indie films, 
and you realize how close everyone is and how connected and if they're not and if they are a little bit separate then they stay separate but we all talk we all are in the same world we're all trying to make indie films and we're all trying to support each other you know that's what this podcast is yeah. about support and the fact that you said there how you know you do stay close to these people you know one step removed at times but you know you can contact them if you've got a problem or if you want to help mm. or if you that's huge in this industry and I recommend it to anyone listening to do that to be always be available to help um, sometimes you might not want to or it might be difficult but these people go on in this business and we make films and you want to be around the people who are making films so you know don't be afraid to send an email or send a tweet or retweet their stuff constantly it doesn't hurt I know I know I've cast people um, obviously they came in and were very good but because they always retweet my stuff and I was like who is this person who is this person yeah, and you then do. when the casting came up you go oh right that or if it's a crew member or, or whatever you see them I tell you what and that's, so that's what we did with Jen Martin so just actually yes. to tie us all in um, moving on to uh, behind the line when you're ready obviously is Jen came in to um, read for Arthur and Merlin, but she was reading in yeah. for the people that were auditioning. And when we were casting Behind the Line, I said to Ben, she was great. She really helped Giles and I out. She didn't have to. Um, she probably got a cup of coffee for it and that was it. And she gave up her whole day. We didn't know her from anyone. And she, mm -hmm. so that's why I went to her first. And we found she was on Twitter, right? You asked to right. put a tweet out, right? Mm. I want someone to come and help read in with the actors. And now she got, you know, I'd say the lead female role in um, Behind the Line. You know, and I mean, obviously she audition was very good, but still. But that, that's the thing as well. You don't get work by doing that. You still have to be good. Yes, But course. it gets you in the room, you know, and yep. that's part of the journey. It's part Being of in the, the room way. is the most important yeah. thing. It's the thing I tell actors all the time. It's all about getting in that room. Whatever your showreel's like, whatever your tape is like, get in the room. Make sure you get in the room. Make sure they want to see you. Show them something that is different or intriguing. Get in the room. Because once you're in the room, then it's yours to win. Yeah. Um, and that's so important. Same with crew. Same thing. Yeah. It, it makes a difference. If DPs are sending me stuff all the time, I'm taking notice, writing it down. You know, I've got great DPs, but... What happens if they're not available or someone else rings me up about a project and says, hey, I need a DP. I've only got this much. Well, actually, try these people. So it's so important in this industry to be around and be noticed. Get your stuff out there. And that is perfect leaders on to behind the line. I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was really well made. I, I really felt the performances were fantastic. It was shot beautifully, really interesting and a great story. So, you know, well done, Ben. I thought Thank it you. was really well done. Andy Cinder as well for doing Doing this so let's talk about how it came about in terms of why behind the line why make another war film why do this story let's just how it how it first started for the two of you goes back to berlin right lucinda yeah so, so we're back there so ben okay. and i um we've got a few projects together that we're developing and we said right well we need to go to berlin go to the european european film market so we did and we, we went over there to pitch a few projects and I was in contact for a long time with uh, Andy Taylor at 101 Films and Steve Daly there, Davey there, and um, they said, oh, look, look let, it's now time to partner up and, and do a movie together. Um, and we had a, a finance partner on, on board with 101, and I said, okay, well, what do you want? You know, we've got lots of different films. We're developing um, this genre, that genre, you know, World War II we'd like to do. They went, that's it. We're going to do a World War II movie. And Ben and I were still going around thinking about uh, 
you know, the concept for the film. So we didn't actually have anything on paper for it. So we went back that evening, had dinner, had a couple of bottles of wine, and then Ben came up with the wonderful concept. We went back at half eight the next morning to have a meeting, and he pitched, and it, it was signed, sealed, delivered. That was it. And then a few weeks later, I'm going through the contracts, and um, I said, look, if we're going to do one, why don't we do two? And... Um, that's when I went back to Ben and said, do you fancy doing two? He said, just say yes and we'll worry about it later. <laughs> so there you go. I said, okay, fine, let, let's do two. So we negotiated um, and we decided to shoot two very different war movies back to back with one day off in between. So it was kind of, uh, Sam actually said, Sam Gittins, our wow. lead, uh, came on set the first day and he said, normally everyone's a bit nervous, they're getting to know each other. But he said, I walked into this already moving machine so we actually shot it like a TV series where you would have the same the same crew but cast coming in. So you're already moving the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. So we look we looked at it like that. Just they were two different. In a, well, in my mind, for certain, Ben, you can correct me. Um, I saw it as two different episodes. So oh yeah, that that's how I got through it and managing the different stories and 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 cast because it it was you know brain frying to do two at once. Uh, different locations, different cast, different costumes, all different contracts, you know, man- line producing two different films. It was chaos because at one point we were going to do one movie in the morning, one movie in the afternoon if we needed to use, because um, we had some actors in both. For instance, uh, Tim Berrington was in both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ryan Winsley as well, right? Um, Ryan was in both, yeah. Yeah. But, and Guy Faulkner, yeah, a few. Ant- Antonio, Antonio was in both, Bristol. yeah. Um, so it was... There you go. So we shot we shot two back to back. But looking at it now, because shooting uh, one movie is tough. Shooting two movies almost back to back with one day off must have been pretty taxing on the brain and difficult. I can only imagine. Uh, would it be something you know you would agree with? And would you do that again, back to back? Because it's kind of crazy. It's really like wow. All right. So I guess getting the opportunity to make a film is amazing. So Mm -hmm. take it, right? Don't don't look that particular gift horse in the mouth. However, if I was running my world from some kind of puppet master place in the sky, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't do two movies back to back again, even though I'm hugely loved the experience of doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think they are going. distinct and I think they both have separate, uh, they're very, very different films. And they've, they, so we didn't, it didn't just become some sort of blurry mess, blurry yeah. long mess of two movies. They work incredibly different, not just in their stories and casting, obviously, but in their soul and attitude and the rest of it were, were different enough that we could, it was fairly easy to switch mentally and emotionally between the two worlds because they were one's kind of like a throwback 60s Saturday matinee kind of film. And, and the one with Sam, the, the, the one we're talking about today is much more a kind of action lads film. Mm. So it was quite easy to move around them uh, emotionally and mentally. But it's just tiring. And at this budget, when everybody's doing two or three jobs and the hours are long and you finish a 12 hour day and you've still got to go and do figure out how to redo tomorrow's call sheet because you've dropped a lot of shots because of the rain or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's difficult to do it 
all again when you just finished one. <laughs> I can imagine. And how many days did you shoot um, We Go In At Dawn for, which was your 60s style, you know, throwback? I to that. think that was 12, was it? Or what was That was it? 11. 11. 11 days for your first one. One day off. Oh my God, that one day must have been mental because you're preparing for yeah. the next film anyway, not let alone trying Absolutely. to sleep. And then behind the line was how many days? 11 or 12 11 11 days again I think well done first of all because there's so much going on when you're making a film there's so many questions and my my question too is how did you prepare (laughs) behind the line while you were shooting another movie because I, I don't know how you'd have done that so that was okay, actually. I've got to say that bit really? was fine. Yeah, and I'd done kind of five-week, six-week shoots before, so keeping that amount of, of... I've done like two episodes of a TV show back. To, I've done that length of production before, so keeping mm-hmm. that amount in, in my head and in my an emotional connection to that stuff was okay, even when you're tired. What I would say, though, and here's where it gets really difficult, uh, is... Um, As you know, Giles, and everyone on this podcast and most of our listeners will know, in making a film, what you plan to do that day, if nothing goes wrong, you can get it done. That's that's otherwise you're an idiot. Right. That's the way you you work. But things go wrong every day. So from like if you call at nine by half past ten, you're chasing something that's got wrong. And if you're doing working for four or five weeks kind of with hardly a day off and no thinking space. You have to make decisions about when to stop and drop a scene because you're running out of time or or, 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 or not do another take on a performance because it wasn't quite there or it was. I mean, we got lucky we had a great cast. That gets really tiring. So that's the really difficult bit is, is knowing that you're working so quickly uh, intensely and quickly. So why don't you give us a, a little pitch on what Behind the Line is about and we'll jump deep into it. So World War II was really about citizen soldiers. It was about regular people going into a horrific situation and having to make horrific choices. Uh, and against the backdrop of everybody, of, of, of the horrific things that were happening all over the world at the time, Regular people were called upon to be heroes, but they weren't heroes. So it became like, what's a hero mean? And what really is that? There's even a line in the movie where someone says, look, we're, we're just soldiers. We're not heroes. We're just, we're here to do a job. We're not here to be a, to, to, to be a Superman. That kind of gets you to a, what would I do feeling in the audience, which I think audiences respond to. I certainly do when I'm watching. Also on top of that, I quite like war movies and action movies to, so to throw in some tropes and homages and hit some of those genre beats quite squarely on the nose with a kind of a knowing, uh, like we know we're doing that. We know this is a bit that you're going to like if you like a war movie. And to be a bit playful with that whilst keeping it real, I thought was also something we we really wanted to do. So we came up with this story about a couple of kids who get kid uh, uh, taken prisoner by the Nazis and they get together with a bunch of other prisoners and stage a boxing match in order to stage an escape. It's really cool. So let's talk about the actual making of it then. Um, did you know early on how much budget you'd have when you were speaking to Warner One? Was it a case of they said to both of you, yeah, okay, well, this is how much you can have for this movie and this is how much you can have for this movie? Or was it a moving beast early on when you especially didn't know what uh, price it would be or project it would be? Well, I mean, budgets are always um, a further conversation. They're always, always talking about... It depends on... 
So you have a working top sheet or you have the working budget, but there always needs a discussion as you move forward. You may, like for instance, we didn't have that boxing ring. Because obviously having a, a boxing ring is quite expensive, especially um, a period one. And in the end we had to go back and work the budget and say, okay, well we need a little bit more, but we're gonna have to take it for somewhere else. So budget conversations are ongoing the whole time and they can move from hour to hour sometimes, can't they, Ben? Because you have to beg, borrow and steal from different departments to make to make it work without going so over budget or so so far that the people don't make their return. So the investors don't get a return on their investment and they don't want to spend loads of money because they know how much they can make. So we have to be very, very careful. Budgets are really strange things because actually films don't have a budget. It's not like a sports car is more expensive than a a, a cheap car because because the work that's gone into the sports car. The budget affects how you make the film more than what the film is. You can make a film with your friends and an iPhone for you know a hundred pounds you could make that same film for millions if it was a more expensive camera and tom cruise and and uh benedict cumberbatch or somebody yeah. mm. do you know what i mean so it's it's it budgets can be they're they're a little bit uh misleading deceiving. i think mm. and deceiving yeah because sometimes a film can be made for yeah the budget really ex, ex, is an expression of how that film got made rather than specifically what it is i think uh, and Lucinda worked her ass off to get as much as as she could, which was amazing. And you know, but you you do never have enough ever. But at the same time, we made a film, so it got made at the budget that Lucinda got. And so that is a you know that's a great bit of producing. In fact, that's what half of what producing is making great films at the budget mm. that they're given. Exactly that. Exactly right. And was, was both budgets the same for we go in at dawn and behind the line, the same amount. We, it's a little bit I more, we, I think. Did we have the a line. whole pot? We had, we had one budget that we managed over two films. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. So they said, Hey, look, here's X amount. You go, if you want to make two films, that's totally up to you. You work out how much it's going to be. Cause we got the budget one. raised by saying, Let's do two. Got you. I see. But, That's but, clever. But then we had the problem of making uh, an increased budget work over two films. Behind the line on paper was probably a little bit more. Um, not by a lot, you know, but a little bit more because of the different sets, the volume of cast. We really only had three leads in We Go In At Dawn. Behind the line mm -hmm. was, I mean, we had all the POWs. We had our villains. We had the big lighting rigs. Uh, our cinematographer, Pete Aliboni, brought some of his guys up from London because we shot the whole thing in Suffolk, mm. where we are based, Picture Perfect. And Pete Aliboni, we were there two, three in the morning when some of the London guys had finished on a big movie, drove all the kits to Suffolk, rigged it up, then left. It was, I mean, it was amazing, the setups that we had for Behind the Line, where it was a yeah, little bit it... more basic on We Go In At Dawn. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass.
We, it's honestly, it's an incredible achievement what you've done. I really enjoyed Behind the Line. Um, I'm not saying that. I thought it was really a, a really interesting, well-made movie with great shots and great performances. It really is a great movie. Really cool. Let's go into you know the making of it then for you, Ben and Lucinda. How how from that moment when you got the green light, which must have felt amazing, Ben, and also that suddenly you go, oh, pressure or whatever it was. How do we do this? Now you've got to write two scripts for one, um, but also is the actual making of it itself. First of all, was that whole process of uh, right? We've got the money now. Go write it. Was that okay for you? Was that like water off a duck's back? It's like finally about time. Because Ben, you wrote both films in two months. Yeah, I think anyone who says they, writing's easy is probably lying. Mm-hmm. Or I, 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 I don't know anybody, and I know some pretty successful writers who, who I don't think anyone would say that. So it was, it wasn't. No, it's, it's hell. It's one of the hardest things in the in the in the world to come up with good stuff by yourself that no one else has come up with on your own. It's it's like it's impossible. I, I right. think it's the hardest part of the. Uh, uh, well, I find it anyway one of the hardest parts of the of the process. Um, so no, that was scary, and that was uh, it was good. I was lucky; I had taken quite a bit of time out, and I really recommend this to everybody. By the way, to do some courses and do some training, like four or five years ago, and really learn how to write and practice. And ri- I'd written sort of ten specs that haven't got anywhere that nobody people have read and given feedback on and some of them have got, you know, a couple of steps in and then got rejected. So that so you 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 learn a lot from all your rejection. So keep writing basically. Just write, 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 write. Because one day you're gonna get end up in mine and Lucinda's situation where someone says you've got to write two in a six weeks. And then mm-hmm. those ten that's easier if you've done a whole bunch, even if no one's ever made them or bought them. I would I'm sure you agree with that. Yeah, totally, totally. And what's your writing process? Um, do you do you have notes around? Obviously, if it's a World War Two movie or two of them, you've got to research that. You've got to, you know, get the ins and outs and get the technology right and the wording and details. Yeah. yeah. How did you go about that? So I'd re- do a lot of research. Uh, Sam's characters actually ended up being based on a real person. The, yeah. the who the scene that uh, where it, that happened in real life with this particular real individual uh, got cut from the final script actually, which is a shame because that means that's not really based on him. But originally in the research, it was based on this this private who was a boxer who did get kid, uh, captured by the Nazis in the first couple of weeks of the war, and it was really based on him from a South London boxer, but. Um, Writing-wise, I write in, from very inside out. So I'll write one line, then one page, then two pages. Always the whole story from beginning to end, expanding that as I go. So my la- final treatments are usually 60, 70 pages long, wow. but without any dialogue. Yeah, and then that's I'll a really good way script. to do it. Yeah, it's a good way to do Rather it. Rather than I, start at the beginning. Totally, because you can get lost that way. I've done that in the past. And hey, everyone's different. You know, Christy Wilson Cairns has got her own opinion, you know, writing 1917 and whatnot. Yeah. But but for me, I'm like you. I have to put in the biggest treatment I can and keep expanding that treatment exactly. and showing it to people and what's right, what's wrong. Because otherwise you can get lost. You start writing and then you get to page 17 and you go, oh my God, I haven't even got to the you know first inciting incident yet. Yeah, yeah. How do I redo this? So I, I think that's a great way to do it, especially when you had very little time and you had to just get on with it. Um, and did the first drafts come in okay? You were like happy to get the story and just get on with it, I suppose, as a writer. I think one of the things as well, working that way, and luckily that's the way I would have naturally worked, is we could go to, 
I could go to Lucinda and Jeet and 101 at every stage and make sure that everybody was happy. So we were casting off a 20-page treatment mm. and then we were location scouting off a 30-page outline. And then we, you know, so by the time the, the actual script was, was getting finished often the night before, you know, it was, it we, but everybody was involved all the way along. So they weren't like, oh, I don't understand that or that's a surprise or, or, or what. Yes. That said, you'd always want more time. Everybody does. The actual casting of that then, obviously Sam Gittings plays your lead of Dan, Danny Finnegan. You've got, you know, we mentioned Jennifer Martin in there, uh, Malcolm Alkins in there as well, and Ryan Winsley's and Tim Barrington's. And uh, we even have uh, Joel Fillimore as well, who's our moderate in Arthur and Merlin as yes, well in is. there. And, you know, you've uh, the rest of the cast are all really cool. What was your cast? What do you like to do in casting? What do you like to see from actors? So that's, uh, I had never done a, a, a whole thing off self tapes and it phone interviews before. I'd always been in the room, always. I think it's really important to uh, be in the room with the actor. But on this one, because of the time and the money that we had, uh, we did it all on self tapes, which actually, with the way the world is going, might be the future. We might have that, that might be like the next 20 years of our. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we're all going to be in rooms quite like we used to be. But. Um, so that everything was on self tapes. A lot of it came through connections and agents, especially from Lucinda's, because Lucinda's had. I think this is your what, your eighth film or something, Lucinda. Night. I, I can't Nine. remember. Ninth film, right? So yeah, there's eight time. other movies to draw on, plus all her TV. So and a lot of them came from that. And that's what we were saying, Ben, about earlier about these contacts and building up over time of being a filmmaker no and being an actor and whatever it is. These contacts come because Lucinda liked them. No they doubt. liked Lucinda. They had a connection. So when the film comes up, they go, actually, you know, Joe Egan's right for this. Jennifer Martin's right for this. Michael Elkin's right for this. It's because they've been around for a while doing their thing and being in people's faces, if yeah. you like, but not too too much. So that's how it totally works. They're also reliable and they're very professional. I've worked with Michael Elkin. Huge. Ryan Winsley I think Ryan's done like six films for us and Michael's done maybe three or four um, mm. and they're they're reliable and and I think uh, Ben and myself we trusted them to uh, take the character in a different direction actually so Michael Elkin decided to put on an accent and so did Ryan because they wanted to try new things and because Ben and I knew them and I've worked with them before we knew how professional they were so we let them have their own way with the character, if you like. Obviously, with guidance, mm -hmm. but... There's also yeah. a, a trade-off there. To, to punch above your budget weight, you have to get, give actors some slack. And if they say, okay, I'll do it, but if I'm allowed to do this, then mm -hmm. you get a better actor than you might have otherwise been able to afford because you're allowing them... They feel, you know, ownership and they can become stakeholders in the whole creative thing. And that's I think that's fantastic. They become more invested. Yeah. 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 Sam Newman's another example. Obviously, he's in Arthur and Merlin as well. And he's just great in the film, you know. Could he actually speak German? Because Yeah, it, we, yeah. we were very uh, very aware of that, actually. We needed people that were fluent French or German. I d we didn't want to have any mock accents. Um, we just wanted everything as natural as possible. Sam's fluent, Tim's mm -hmm. fluent, Jen's fluent. Um, and that was you've got to get that right. If not, people will. I know there's other war films that don't have anybody speaking in another language or with an accent. They've just kept it uh, mm -hmm. UK. And 
really, it, it, people are questioning. They're watching going, I'm sure they should have a German accent right now or they should be speaking to the other Germans in German. In German, sure. Yeah, I thought your whole cast was really great. I got to say one thing as well about our cast. I can't praise them enough. If you're trying to shoot eight to nine pages a day mm -hmm. of action movie, yeah. If you don't have a great cast, you're you're you're, to you're screwed from day one if you don't get that. So yeah. we were that really saved us. And I say this all the time, but once the cameras are rolling, anything me or Lucinda or anybody else in the crew does, or all that goes out of the window. It's yeah. all about those actors in front of the camera in that moment. And if, if that's not right, the rest of it doesn't really matter. So, you know, it's so true. It doesn't matter how good the camera angle is at that point, how amazing the lighting looks. If the acting's not great in that moment, no one cares. They just yeah. go, oh. I was going to ask Ben a question, actually. It's nice of me to be able to kind of speak to my director because we're moving at so, such a fast pace that we never get a chance to actually debrief and relax and go, okay, well, why were yeah. those choices? So. So I'm looking at quite a lot of stills at the moment from the film and I've been putting them out on social media and things like that. And the cinematography and, and what Pete was able to achieve in the barn that we used was absolutely fantastic mm. because we had... Um, it was we had a lot of gaps in the roof, didn't we? So a lot of the lighting uh, was natural. Obviously, we did have the rig above, which made that lovely spotlight for Joe and Sam Gittins. But it did help having that natural lighting as well. Um, did you spend a lot of time back and forth with Pete on on how we wanted to sh light it and shoot it what I'd like to hear about that process because we haven't spoken about it yeah tons I mean I think the more talking you can do with anybody the better you know you're all going to end up with the, your specific credit on the end of the day so in, in the process it doesn't really matter who had the idea it's just you, you, it, it, as long as it makes for a better film so we spend as much time as we could talking about it it gets more dramatic towards the end and it kind of gets more epic towards the end. And so we used these holes in the roof to have the sun kind of streaking through with smoke and it kind of feels like these sort of heavenly rays are coming onto this fight, whereas in the earlier fights it was much more top-lit, which is much more... It uh, gives you a sort of line across your shoulders and and shadows under the eyes so you can't quite see what people are feeling. So every all of that is definitely very thought out and then, then scheduled through the day of course i think mm. it's really important to schedule through the day especially when you know we had i think we had four lights or something on the whole thing so we're using available where we can mm. obviously and, and the sun is much brighter than anything we could have but so. we had to use natural lighting because of the period as well same as what we had to use on arthur and merlin um or it would yeah i mean dops find it it's really difficult for dops to give highlights depth highlights in in period stuff because in modern day stuff you just put a little globe light or an angle point you know a light in the background but in the period unless you've got flat fire which you don't in every setup you know in arthur has some arthur merlin i mean has some great lighting in it but none of it's got you know shafty headlights or other sort of lighting that you would do from a in a non-period piece totally, it's, it's a yeah. real challenge Looks beautiful, mm -hmm. by the way. I'm not just saying that because I'm on Thank your Thank you. Andrew Rogers, amazing DP. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Looks gorgeous. For um, sort of getting actors in that zone in when you're kind of faced with such strict time limitations, because obviously you're not going to have time to be doing loads and loads of takes, um, not that much time to do that much rehearsal. Um, what's your strategy there on set for sort of um, making sure that they can really get into character? 
I need to work on that. I, I like talking. <laughs> no, I like talking. And I think you. I think everybody over-directs, no matter whoever they are. Yeah, uh, and I'm guilty of it. And I think let, let the actor do it. Just let them do it. And then make mm. it quicker or slower or bigger or or walk to the window and say it even you know even that's a bit too specific but to avoid over directing i think it's great and then redirect as you go of course that's fine your their job is to get it right in that moment your job is to understand how it fits within the whole i mean you're both trying to fit it within the whole but you're trying to pretend to be the audience in that moment and fit it edit it in your head with what came either side so you can not judge them in a bad way, but kind of help them once they're going. But I think over-directing actors, I used to do it on short films and things. It never gets you anywhere. It wastes everybody's time. Mm. They know what the character's doing. They know what it is. You've spoken about that in meetings before, in the pub, over dinner. Mm. Get them in a place where they think. On the other hand, creating an atmosphere where they feel comfortable to do that, that's vital, right? So, yeah. mm. And that could just be a touch, you know, a, hey, what did you have for breakfast kind of uh, touch. Yeah. Uh, 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 or, you know what, you got this one. This is great. I or you're taking this a bit. I don't think you, you've got a better one than that. You're taking it a bit too far. Maybe you can bring that back. Rather than kind of direct people. I, I, that's sure. how I think. You kind it's of really interesting. You're more sort of empowering a, them and giving them the yeah, confidence. It, it, making somebody feels that they can do their best and then they do do their best. I think it's absolutely that's the trick. It, as far as I said, can tell. And said there, Ben, earlier about, you know, you on set is not the time to be discussing character arcs. This should be done way before so that when you get to set, you can direct the details. So you can give them doing words and adjectives exactly. and verbs, things that can make a difference to their performance. It, me and Lucinda have been actors for years. And when a director comes and starts talking to you and waffling on about, well, remember seven years ago, your character felt like that means nothing in the moment right now. Do you want me to play hate, anger? What, you know, give them the doing word. Actors understand that. We know how to deal with that you're upset with them but don't show it oh i can play that but i can't play seven years ago you felt upset with this person what does that mean that doesn't mean anything so it's really important not to over direct i think that's great yeah. advice really good yeah. and creating uh, that uh, comfortable environment huge yeah huge. and leave and theme and leave all that shit at the door you know where this yeah. fits in the general in the <laughs> totally. vision i mean fuck. it's done it's yeah. done. You did that ages ago. There's no point talking about exactly. it on set. Totally. Unless you haven't had time to talk to them, but then we'll, we'll try and do it on the phone. Do it Do it by Skype beforehand. Exactly. Do it when they're in the makeup chair. Do it then. Get it all out. <laughs> and then when you're on set, when the camera's ready to roll, especially when you've got 11 days to shoot, you've just got to be on it, on it, on it, and everyone needs to know. And I, I imagine when it came to doing Behind the Line, like you said, your team were like a, a machine by this point. You were all just oiled. And, you know, if you said, right, we're going to two shot we're going to track along from here and then we're going to punch in this one we're going to punch in that all your team knew exactly what you're doing your props team your camera team it was only your new actors exactly like sam gitting said he said oh my god so this is great imagine if we could do that from the off on every movie yeah, we yes. start with but it takes three or four days to settle in and get that machine mm. well oiled actually it does absolutely it does. And actually, that's a good good advice to anyone who's about to make their first film or about second one. Remember that. Don't get bogged down in it. Do, do scenes that are easier to do. Take longer on that first day so you're not rushing to get your amazing shots or you've got to get 10 scenes in and 103 pages on that first day. Don't do it. It's just you'll, you'll, everyone will be upset and crying and it won't be fun for the rest of the shoot. Um, talking of amazing sort of 
props and design team. We talked about Badger earlier, but look, you know, all the stuff felt really authentic from the costumes through to what, how they talked to what they were eating to even though they didn't eat that much. But do you know what I mean? It all felt very authentic. Did you really prep that? Did you go through that with Badger and was, did you have vision boards? Did you do all that yeah, sort of stuff? Absolutely. So even if I entering it, I didn't know we were going to have enough money for a grade, right? But mm. even if we'd have wow. been having millions for a grade, I still think you grade through the art department and not necessarily with a, the, the computer's there to make it better. Yeah, later. through the camera and through your art department. Yeah, yeah exactly. absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. make that so that's so as much a part of 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 what Giles. I mean, everyone on this podcast knows what the job is, but you, we all agree, right? That's part of the job is is getting that look and feel right. Uh, I'd mm-hmm. luckily done a whole bunch of stuff with Badger before for TV. Great, um, so you knew a, what he could yeah, do and what and was a lot right. Of, and w- I'd done um, a lot of, of kind of factual drama with Badger and drama doc stuff. Um, so there was a shorthand there already. One of the things I, like different to this from, I don't know, a science fiction set 50 years in the future on a different planet is we could look at a lot of pictures of stuff that was really there and did really happen. Mm. Um, and I think all of that stuff, there's like the interior design of, Jen's house, for example, really feels real. And I think if mm. that feels real, people believe it. The Jeb, I think it uh, was probably Ridley Scott or somebody, I can't even remember who said something about if, you, if the film doesn't feel real, the audience doesn't worry for the characters. And I really sort of believe that if, it, if it, it's got to feel real and the, and the design and the look is part of that smoke and mirrors, because obviously it's not real. Yes. Someone's hiding under a table holding that lamp in place or whatever it might yeah, be yeah you know it yeah you yeah, know yeah. there's a smoke machine on the corner exactly. just out of frame you know yeah. that there's someone there there's a, a sound guy's literally going if i move i'm gonna be in shot yeah, yeah isn't that it's or, just the magic of or it their is. shadow is in shot but you're like don't shot. move because it doesn't look like you you're yeah, fine exactly. it could Roll. be anything yeah. <laughs> i love it sarush we can see you <laughs> Sarush again, of course. Yeah. The lovely Sarush did this as well. So, listen from your side of it, then producing a movie like this, because this was—did you shoot this before Arthur and Merlin? Or yes, we Af- did. Yeah, we yeah. shot this shot last June, actually. You've like made five films in two years, right? Or was it more? No, five films in one. Five films in one so year. So, 2019, we did five. Uh, 2020, we've done none so far. But you've, they're all coming out this year. They're so all coming, yeah. So all, it was, it's, all the press and talk. It's been great, exactly. <laughs> it's been great, actually, having the time to enjoy the releases. Yeah. Where normally yeah, it, a film's being released and I'm shooting something, so I don't have time to actually go, oh, great, I'd like to sit back and, and, and read reviews and actually see the response from everybody else. And just to finally to touch on the sort of the action side of this, because there is, there is, you know, there's lots of gunfire, there's, there's deaths, there's a great boxing match, two of them. How did you shoot that? What did you, it, obviously I saw how you shot it, but how did you plan to shoot that, I suppose? There's no way we could have done uh, any of that, those, those boxing matches without people who knew how to box. So that was sort of mm-hmm. top of the, uh, I mean, we got some wonderful actors on there, so it's great. And they really deliver emotionally, so that's also really important. But if they hadn't been technically able to box, we would never have made our days those days. I mean, there's that's quite difficult stuff to shoot um, at the best of times, let alone. But these actors were so great. They could hit each other all day long without without making contact. Mm. Uh, it was a really, really saved the film was having Sam... Um, 
Paddy and Joe yeah. who could fight. And so that saved us. And then Pete had a camera. We shot this thing on a Sony camera, which is it's really cool. It's like uh, about the size of a large shoebox, uh, but the front bit breaks off. So that becomes the size of, I guess, the size of even smaller than a DSLR. That's, that's that the cameraman can hold and carry. So he was actually in the ring, dancing around the fighters with them, holding this tiny camera, even though it was shooting like 8K on the massive wow. uh, and cabled with this really thick cable, as thick as your arm, uh, going back to the main body that Sophie, the camera assistant's running around, uh, trying to get it out of the way of the actor's feet so they're not tripping over. Um, so that I think that kept those alive. So we did pretty long takes and there's, choreographed long takes but there's no way we could have uh done it if the actors hadn't been great boxers yeah that's so true because it comes across you know it really does and i knew sam was a boxer and obviously your, your, your german guy was a boxer and obviously big joe he can fight obviously he was in arthur and merlin and he did take a punch a proper one from richard short and he just <laughs> took it and went ah you got me there you got me a good one <laughs> he's blood streaming from his nose it's like wow um yeah pretty full on so yeah i think that's really important and did you had you planned your shots from you know did you go right i want to be i'll get from that side i know how he's going to hit the floor here i know how i want to get inside the head or was it kind of organic a little bit um you know choreographically wise no, that was pretty planned i've got to say Good, and we okay. had to be partly for safety of the actors doing the hitting each other in the ring but also our budget didn't allow us to have only allowed crowd in on set for one day. So we couldn't show any wider shots or backgrounds. So had we had a, the full set, we could have shot it more organically, but because we were shooting like the close up of a punch two days separately to the wide shot of that same punch. Oh, wow. We, we, yeah, really at that, it was that diff It was that sort Oof. of much of a head fuck. That's we hard. had to shoot. So there are bits in it where there are now three shots cut together, or not just bits, almost all the sequences of three shots cut together wide, mid, tight, were shot on three on different days. Wow. Across the same action. That, that oh was, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. That was so that's a heavy storyboarding uh issue. Also a heavy lighting yeah. issue. Yeah. Yeah, especially why, using natural light where yeah. you don't know the mid suddenly lights change because it's now cloudy or the, the actor's yeah. hair's different or the, the stance is slightly different. My God, that's difficult. So we had to, and actually the actors were great. They would hit things. The, the BGs were, were, were also brilliant. Everyone was brilliant. The, the trickiest part in the edit was actually the referee because I had kind of forgotten the referee. This is my bad. I was so focused on where the actors were going to be and what their faces were telling us emotionally and where they were hitting each other for A, for plot, and B, for safety. Yeah. That, that, that I kind of forgot where the referee was sometimes because I, I got tunnel vision about our main characters, obviously. Yeah. And then you get to the edit and he's like over on the left, then he's over on the right. So that was, <laughs> they were a headache. I didn't notice. Finally, then, some advice from both of you for, from Lucinda then to producers out there. Pay attention to detail because that's the that's one of the things that the audience members, historians are going to pick to pieces and they will forget about the characters and the story because they're going, well, that's not a World War Two spoon. That's not a World War Two table. And you've lost your audience straight away. So attention to detail and Badger was and his team. Uh, were absolutely fantastic. I remember we had our first artwork uh, presented to us and Stu, 
uh, part of Badger's team said, that gun's on the wrong shoulder. It needs to be changed immediately. And I thought, great. That's yes. why you need the right team that know exactly um, what they're doing with this genre. Great advice. Ben, go for it. Yeah, working at this budget and speed or working on any uh, indie film uh, or, or, or low budget film, you are going to... There are going to be times when you're going too quickly, when you lose things because of other circumstances beyond your control, or it's just a really ambitious thing to do. So there is going to be bits of it that fall by the wayside and those really hurt. So the thing you need to find is what's going to get you through and hopefully help make that a really good film. And I think that is always trying to remember what the heart of it is and what the what you're trying to make people feel about the heart of what you're trying to do so that when you do have to drop a scene because of of you it's raining or you can't do another shot because the actors booked to go to the leave the set because they've got to be back in london whatever it is that if your heart is right somehow you hope the audience will be carried along and forgive you for the little things along the way because they believe that you believe in the sort of heart of the of the of the project that's what i'm hoping our audience are going to believe in they will. They really will. Uh, you know, like Lucinda said there, you're always going to get people who are going to criticise and say the spoon wasn't right or this wasn't right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a movie and someone who who isn't affected by, you know, whether the gun was on the right side or the left side, I love the movie. I think it's brilliantly well done. I can't believe the budget you made it for. You know, a micro-budget film like this stunning it's really is you've Thank done you. brilliantly both of you. I, you I do believe that i think it's great it is and everyone should go see this movie uh, behind the line escape to dunkirk it is available now check it out this is how to make an indie film uh, i wish it was behind the scenes on how you made this that would be so cool as well but you've got this podcast so there it is uh lucinda where can people find you and follow you and see all these wonderful pictures you're putting out at the moment and for all those actors and directors and producers out there who want to get into this industry and work with lucinda where can they find you so follow my social handles twitter is at pick perf limited p-i-c-p-e-r-f limited l-t-d and on pick perf movies instagram and pick perf movies on facebook please come and say hello lovely to connect with new people and maybe we can work together sometime gorgeous uh ben with my name ben mole you could just search it and it'll come up i've got a website benmole.com i'm on instagram i'm on facebook i'm on twitter all with ben mole so there aren't that many of us come find me and Love send it. me ideas Oh, there you all, go. Yeah, we all want the next one, right? It's true. Like yeah, we want that next in the background, one. Ben. By the way, is that 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 looks like it's for ideas and coming up with them as well? Hold on a minute, Robbie. Robbie, I've got all our DVDs here at the back, and you haven't even noticed them, but you notice a whiteboard. <laughs> yeah, is this all the DVDs you've made over the last year? DVDs. These are oh, they're last year's ones. Don't worry about them. <laughs> Look, Charles, Machine, I love it. Giles, oh, Giles I? is yeah. on there, yeah. <laughs> Great, made it, made it. You can follow me at Giles Olsen. Robbie, where can people follow you? You know where, Giles, just Robbie McKay. <laughs> <laughs> I know where. It's just weird <laughs> now. Uh, you can follow the Filmmakers Pod at Filmmakers Pod, obviously. And if you want to come on the podcast, if you've got a film released recently or you've got a friend who has, then do get in touch. The Filmmakers Podcast at gmail.com and it could happen to you. You could have the glory and the fandom and the famedom of being on the Filmmakers Podcast. But if you've got a, so a shout out you want to do or you've got a, a Kickstarter, let us know and we'll give it a shout out for you as well. Thank you so much 
much. Join us next week when we have the director and screenwriter Andre Overdahl. You'll know him from the fantastic movies Troll Hunter. The Autopsy of Jane Doe and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, who joins us to talk about his brand new movie, Mortal. Don't miss that. That's next week's episode, next Tuesday with Andre Overdell. Remember, you can go make your indie film. You can do it. Be prepared and go out there and rise up. And if you do, then you have to send the elevator back down. But anyway, I am now going to go to Colchester, sit myself down in a car park and wait for the cold coffee to arrive. Uh, ben Mole, thank you very much. Thank you. Great time. Lucinda, really thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Cheers, everyone. Take care. Take bye, care. guys. Bye, bye Robbie. Bye, bye Charles. Bye. bye.